This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Kirk is bad at negotiations. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review critique show, where we're putting the humanities back into science fiction. My name is Kip, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Dr. Izix. Hi. And this week, they don't know how to pronounce stuff. Yes. <laughs> or I don't. Somebody doesn't. I, I suspect uh, this is a case of the animated series, uh, you know, just kind of foibling on how to pronounce things. So I guess don't worry too much about it. <laughs> so this week's episode is called Pirates of Orion. Or Orion, if you know how to pronounce it correctly. But the thing is that they have Orion as well. They don't have them in this episode, but there are Orions. And they have a place called Orion that they've mentioned before and said it a different way. Yes. So is it a different place? Well, I think there's actually a hint in the episode of uh, what of what's going on here. But okay. uh, we, we, we can get to that uh, at that point there. But uh, I'm going to say that it's most likely that is this is actually supposed to be Orion's, even though they look kind of different and they're not uh, saying it the same way. It just the animated series is kind of incompetent about certain things. So at this point in the franchise, they've decided that Orion males are blue. Yes. And Orion <laughs> females are green, which I guess makes as much sense of anything. Except they're also sexually dimorphic in the same way that humans are. <laughs> well, uh, they yeah, we did uh, have someone in uh, Journey to Babel who was apparently working for the uh, Orion slash Orions, uh, who was blue. That is true. All they said was that his antenna were fake. So <laughs> we're not quite sure what's up with that. So eh. <laughs> Yeah, I guess if you took one of these guys and put antenna on them, they might look like an Andorian. You give them a white wig and antenna. Yeah, take off their helmets. <laughs> no idea what it looks like under the helmet. You people should. This, I'm not going to bother trying to describe these things. Just just go look up Pirates of Orion, and you'll find a picture of these ridiculous outfits that they have them wearing. Yeah, it's very Flash Gordon. Yeah, it's it's. Very. I mean, it actually kind of reminds me of, like, a badly drawn Judge Dredd helmet. Oh, yeah. Kind of, yeah. So, yeah, that kind of, like, weird weird dome hat with goggles that cover half your face. <laughs> and, uh, you know, sort of uh, circular bits for the, the earpieces and uh, a big lightning bolt M sort of thing on their chest with, like... Uh, Shoulder rings, hoops, I guess. <laughs> so I guess we are going to bother to describe it. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but well, us describing it isn't doing it justice either. So, <laughs> so yeah, I'd, I'd recommend uh, giving them an actual look so you could just go oh, like, okay. <laughs> yeah, this is what happens when you jump to a non-visual medium. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. This episode was written by Howard Weinstein who was the youngest person ever to write a Star Trek script. This script was written when he was 19. Hmm, impressive. Uh, this uh, was his only Star Trek TV show, but he wrote a lot of novels and comics and other Star Trek stuff. He's a pretty prolific sci-fi author. Yes, uh, you know, like uh, Star Trek The Covenant of the Crown, Star Trek uh, Deep Domain he's involved with. There's uh, uh, also Star Trek The Better Man, our uh which one here um yeah that's like an anthology i think he also wrote uh baseball hall of famers mickey mantle wait that's not star trek uh, <laughs> it could be <laughs> that's a ds9 <laughs> tie it clearly <laughs> also v path to conquest oof v <laughs> yeah that was a thing <laughs> yeah it was i tried watching the the remake of that briefly uh, how was it? It was, it was fine. It had what's her face in it from Firefly, who I liked. So, who was also what's her face in 
in uh, the last two seasons of Stargate. <laughs> One of these days, <laughs> I'm going to remember someone's name, and it's going to be amazing. We'll figure it out eventually. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, whenever. Yeah, when we finish all. 40 something episodes like seasons of star trek we can jump into the 14 episodes like seasons of of stargate well there is you know 10 seasons of fg1 uh i think four or five of atlantis and then two of universe and i think there's a spin-off cartoon that's questionable canon plus the movies like the original theoretic theatrical movie and like the we need to tidy up plot threads uh movies and you know yeah, though we were canceled out of nowhere movies. Yes. <laughs> and then those new webisodes that they did that everyone hates. Oh, yeah. Star Trek uh, Origins, uh, which were interesting, but very much felt like they were like in-universe movies of what people thought might have happened or was trying to explain things. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, they're, they're, they're bad and don't worry about it. Anyway, Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. Have you noticed we don't have a lot to talk about for this episode yet? <laughs> anyway, guest star. We have a guest star. <gasps> guest star? How'd that happen? It's another one of these people who just works for Filmation and did a voice. That's how this happened. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> We're guest starring Norman Prescott as the Orion Lieutenant who was one of the co-founders of Filmation, produced the animated series, and uh, also co-composed the music for the animated series. Huh. Well, that's kind of cool. Well, they were uh, basically producers on all the things, um, you know, from, like, the Superman and Aquaman Hour Adventure all the way up through uh, Blackstar, uh, the Mighty Mouse, and the Great Space Chase, and Flash Gordon strikes again. No, you know, just Flash Gordon. <laughs> they did a bunch of just just filmation stuff, and it seems like this was a small enough and old enough company that anyone who was around at the time did at least one voice role on something. Yes. Because <laughs> that's and how then, animation used to do. It's like, oh, we need somebody to fill the voice here, and uh, all our regulars are already doing 12 voices this week. So <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of that old video game mentality of, we need a voice actor, you over there. <laughs> come over we'll pay you all right <laughs> uh, uh i think is uh claudia christian i think it is uh is like a whole bunch of different voices in uh, uh skyrim i think um and i just can't help but think like oh uh wh why is ivanova here <laughs> for babylon 5 <laughs> there's only five actors yes <laughs> it's like Ayla, Huntress, or Ivanova? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, Okay, Star we can Trek. jump in and do Star Trek things now. Okay, so uh, what, what disaster are we dealing with this week? The Enterprise crew is getting over an outbreak of chlorinatosis. Um, chlorina. Is this, like, related to chlorine? Maybe. I think so, because later it affects blood chemistry in a way that prevents oxygen binding properly. So it could be something to do with chlorine. <laughs> you know, selective chlorine that affects only one member of the uh, 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 crew here for reasons. We'll get yeah, this it. is a completely non-threatening disease that isn't serious at all, so we can stop worrying about it. Yep. Uh, and then on the bridge, Spock collapses mid-sentence because he got this harmless disease. Oh no, Spock. That is deadly, deadly, deadly to Vulcans. Not only deadly, but almost impossible to cure. <laughs> well, uh, maybe we should have, like, I don't know, put Spock in isolation while this thing, like, was dealt with by the rest of the crew or something. Yeah, you could have possibly quarantined the one dude who was going to be fatal for. Yes. <laughs> Just, <laughs> but you <nope>. know, <laughs> some basic medical precautions yeah, at all. Yeah, just like... You know, put him in a shuttle for a few days. We'll be fine. <laughs> so there's apparently a drug that will let him function, but it will wear off after a few treatments, at which point Spock's blood will no longer be able to carry oxygen. There is a thing that can cure him outright. It's a weird, naturally occurring drug uh, that would let him get completely back to normal, but it's only on a nearby planet that's about four days away, and the Spock's drug that's going to let him live is going to wear off in about three days, so they can't get there in time. So, uh, sucks to be Spock, uh, then. Uh, sorry, Spock, you have three days to live. Uh, maybe it's time to put your affairs in order. 
and we'll have a, a long sequence where we uh, reflect on your life and uh, say goodbye. Yeah. They decide to do a relay race instead. Da -da -dun. They find a Federation transport ship that is near enough to the planet that they can pick it up and they can both head in opposite directions and rendezvous in the middle, which will get them there in just about three days. Oh, that's convenient. <laughs> so everyone's working together on this, and even McCoy grudgingly admits he doesn't want Spock to die. Yeah, yes, McCoy might have some some uh, you know racism going on here, just kind of generally. But he's like, ah, I've kind of like fallen for him, and we're friends now, I guess. But don't tell him I said anything again. <laughs> they have a very brief discussion about how Spock's going to gradually lose his ability to work effectively as he dies slowly of losing blood oxygen. But Spock's very dismissive of this, and it also really is irrelevant to the episode. Yeah. But I guess it's some characterization that doesn't really go anywhere. <laughs> Spock doesn't like taking orders from McCoy, but we already kind of knew that, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So meanwhile, the starship Huron, which is a transport ship that is now carrying not only its normal dilithium cargo, but also this super rare drug for Spock, is being followed by an unknown ship. Oh, no. Uh, you know, well, maybe we should, like... Tell the Enterprise, like, hey, we're being stalked. Uh, just FYI here. That could have been something to do. Yeah. <laughs> just before they rendezvous with the Enterprise, they are attacked. And when the Enterprise arrives, the crew of the Huron is knocked out on the bridge and their cargo is gone. Oh, no. Our things. They beam the crew to sickbay. And when they're healed up, they're able to sort of describe the ship that attacked them. And they're now going to follow it because they stole Spock's medication. Also, Spock now only has a few hours to live. Well, that sucks. Uh, yeah. Uh, now, I, I, I will point out one small detail here that the crew of the, of the Huron was uh, knocked out. And like when they go over and like find them and it's like, you know, Koi's like, how yeah, this guy needs surgery. It's like, Okay, he doesn't look all that hurt here, but maybe there's internal bleeding. But then I immediately thought, this guy's face is like pressed down on the console there. So maybe he needs surgery to remove the console. Yeah, the console sparked in his face and went. <laughs> now he's melted to it. Uh oh. Yeah, he needs to be removed, surgically removed from the console. This probably <laughs> happens from time to time. Yes, because, you know, Star Trek and consoles are exploding or doing weird things. It's kind of a thing. <laughs> okay, so this is just a complete aside, because I've only got like two paragraphs left here, because this is such a condensed episode. At one point, they mention like that plasma explodes out of the consoles. Like they mention this all the time. You get plasma burns from the consoles, which like should yeah. kill you outright if you're getting a plasma burn in well, the face. On the density of plasma. The temperature of it and the uh, the density. But anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Plasma can't exist at low temperatures. <laughs> well, not in an atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> but that means that they're routing, like, plasma, which is the thing that they use to power every part of the ship, straight through anything that needs powering, including just a light-up display. Yep. <laughs> uh, could you guys just, like, go back to copper wires, please? They'll be safer. No, you just have a plasma tube running directly into your computer monitor. Maybe, like, normal electricity doesn't work with warp drive or something, maybe? See, what probably happened... I don't know. <laughs> ...is that some point during the World War III nuclear near-apocalypse they had there, they lost the LED technology, and now the only thing they have that light up are super-energy-inefficient bulbs that need plasma to operate even at low-light <laughs> levels. And uh, no other plant has invented LEDs. Yeah. <laughs> or they don't even use bulbs. They just run plasma directly into the button and it glows. Oh, yeah. That would make uh, horrible sense. <laughs> anyway, back to this thing. <laughs> oh, but I had another aside, though. Ooh, another aside. I, I, forget, I forget exactly uh, what moment it happens, but uh, at one point, uh, 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 McCoy calls up to the bridge and says, like, hey, it's time for uh, Spock to get another injection or whatever. And... Kirk looks over to Spock, and Spock looks over to him, and McCoy's standing behind Kirk, <laughs> and Kirk passages on the message. <laughs> and then Spock's like, uh, okay, I guess. And then, you know, cut back to Kirk, and McCoy's gone because he was never on the bridge in the first place, and I can't help but think that 
Maybe Spock's hallucinating now. <laughs> McCoy's it's ghost. probably just cheap animation, but still. <laughs> I missed that. Yeah. Tell Spock I'm not talking to him, but it's time for his injection. Yes. <laughs> All right. Back to the episode proper. That's better than Scotty's magic mustache. Yes. All right, so they follow the trail of the ship that took the medication. They track it into an asteroid field that's full of exploding asteroids. You know, we've had planets with exploding rocks before, so this is just sort of an upgrade to that, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> They're attacked by the ship that attacked the Huron, and Eryx recognizes it as an Orion ship. So uh, who are these Orions then, Eryx? You dip them in milk and then pull them apart. Which side does it stick to? <laughs> But if you're pulling them apart, they're all soggy after the milk. I, a gooey center. It's, so it's it's always a, a dilemma with me. Do I do I do I dunk or do I split? Or do you split dunk? Split then dunk, then oh, reattach. Then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can split it and then you hollow out a little well in the middle and drip milk in there and then reattach. And then you've got like a. No one's ever done this. It just occurred to me. Just... Yes. All right. So uh, we got some homework for everyone at home. Yeah. Go show us the get on Instagram and show us the worst ways that you eat an Oreo or Oreons in this case. Yeah. Orion. <laughs> we should get an Instagram and then people can do that. <laughs> the Orions hail them and complain about being followed because they're from a neutral planet. And Kirk points out that they followed first and also their neutrality is kind of shaky, especially with them stealing from people. So are you, uh, the, the, you know, the, the damn dirty neutrals of the one sort or just neutral in big quotation marks. Let's find out. <laughs> so the Orions deny all this and Kirk tries to strike a deal because, you know, if they do have the cargo that they definitely didn't steal, the only thing that he wants is the drugs and they can keep the rest and he won't mention this and they can keep their neutrality and they get a bunch of free dilithium. This actually seems like a ridiculously good deal for these guys. It's like you could keep de uh, denying that, we, you know, they took dilithium and it's like, oh, and we also just happen to have some of that one drug here. Uh, it's not, you know, exactly the one that you wanted to get, but we could offer you up it and we could go our separate ways. Yeah. Oh, we don't have it for any particular reason, but, you know, we happen to have it. Well, you know, Spock has green blood. These guys are kind of bluish, <laughs> bluish green, I guess. <laughs> So maybe they have, uh, you know, copper blood as well. I don't know. Well, the Orions agree, but they fundamentally can't trust each other. So they decide that to fix this, they'll beam down to a nearby asteroid and do a face-to-face -face exchange because that will somehow make them trust that Kirk won't tell on them. Okay, this is a little weird. Uh, Kirk, you should probably suspect something at this point. He does. He agrees, but they're all like, yep, it's definitely 100% a trap. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's go do it anyway. And sure enough, the Orions are planning to plant a bomb that will blow up the asteroid and themselves and both ships because it's better that they destroy them all than risk their planet's neutrality. So you guys went pirating and you're worried about your neutrality now? Yeah, a pirating we go. <laughs> I don't think they thought this through very well. So they both beam down and the Orion captain reveals his plan to destroy the Enterprise. Kirk decides to tackle him so he can't activate the bomb, because why did you tell him this before you turned on the bomb? Uh, fair play? <laughs> eh? Yeah. But then also on the Enterprise, they detected the dilithium that's powering the bomb and just beamed it away. Well, that's kind of cool. We should, like, make this a standard procedure. Like, we'll beam away bombs that are going to explode and kill all the people on the surface of a planet. Yeah, they should do that more often, probably. Yeah. <laughs> the Orion captain breaks free and activates the bomb, but nothing happens. And then Kirk grabs him, and they're both beamed up. Yeah. Wait a moment. Did you just beam him right where the dilithium had been beamed to? Because it might be now in his backpack again. <laughs> the Orions on their ship decide to self-destruct, since they couldn't destroy the Enterprise. It's better that they die than risk their neutrality, apparently. And the captain tries to swallow a suicide pill for the same reasons, but the crew are able to grab him and stop him from doing this. Then they convince him that since they have him captured, no matter what, his crew killing themselves isn't going to do anything. So he calls them up and orders them to surrender. Well, uh, you've been caught and, you know, 
your captain's not going to be getting away with it by a death either. So what's the point in suicide here? There's not really one. Uh, nope. So don't do it, I guess. <laughs> now McCoy uh, is able to use the medication to cure Spock. And then he tries to use this, you know, innate species-linked vulnerability to a very specific disease to get Spock to admit that Vulcans are fundamentally inferior to humans. McCoy and your racism... Jeepers. This is not the time. Spock still prefers his physiology, and they all laugh and laugh. <laughs> oh, but going your racism. Oh, racism. Hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this is such a freaking short... My God. Like, this was probably the fu- full-on easiest one of these things for me to write, because the entire middle of the episode is on... Traveling through space. The Huron... And they're just going like, there's a ship. Keep an eye on it. Still there? Yep. yep. Keep, yep. Still keep, yep. Keep looking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Keep there's definitely yep. a ship there. Yeah. Yep. Keep, keep watching. Keep going. Keep going. Keep watching. Though I, I, I did have a moment. It's like, wait, did they steal Nurse Chapel to be on their bridge there? Yeah, they nah, did. This is slightly different. <laughs> <laughs> definitely there. She, she's wearing she has a different badge thing on her on her shirt there so it's i know i love that else. i love that era <laughs> this era of star trek every ship has its own badge thing mm-hmm. like after this they all go with the with the like you know star trek triangle swoopy thing originally that was apparently an enterprise specific logo i guess the enterprise was just so badass that everyone else decided to adopt it in time except for the discovery which already used it i guess yeah yeah. <laughs> I mean, I actually don't know this. Is that a thing in the Navy? Do they have different... Does each ship have its own thingy-mabob? Like, do you have your own thing for each ship and then you... I think they kind of do. I mean, like, uh, I don't know about the Navy, but, like, you know, space shuttles and space missions have different mission patches, but that's, like, a whole, like, design thing going on there. Uh, it's not, like, a simple, you know, logo sort of dealio. It's, like... We're going to be going up and servicing this this satellite here, so we're going to have the satellite on the thing, and our our our, our, our the shuttle or the you know, the spacecraft here, and uh, we're going to have uh, some, you know, you know, printed out, uh, you know, phraseology or something like that. I don't know. Nowadays, um, it's just but, all Elon Musk's head. Ah, uh, it's just his face on every patch. <laughs> Dang him and his blood emeralds. <laughs> hmm. I don't know. Could he be a, an Orion pirate? Maybe. Guess we maybe we started this whole pi- space piracy things ourselves. Oh no! So there's only really, from my perspective, trying to look at any kind of interesting biology or or philosophy in these episodes. Those are my two areas of expertise. Um, there's very little. We already talked about blood science. In this episode specifically, they say that Spock's copper-based blood is affected badly by this whatever the frick it is than, you know, normal human iron-based blood. So it must be something that binds to copper more effectively than iron. Yes, and so it's, I guess, gets all involved in the, you know, the, the different bond strengths and... That's not super interesting, honestly. It's just not sort really. of a difference. <laughs> I mean, this is like we kind of talked about this a few weeks back on the, uh, or a couple weeks back on the, on the um, Total Recall episode that, you know, this this is the problem with something like carbon monoxide. The oxygen in the carbon monoxide will still bind with your hemoglobin, but it's not oxygen, so it just takes up room that oxygen should be taking up. So it's kind of like that. So in a way, uh, Spock has a reproducing carbon monoxide thing in his blood that's being internally generated. That's bad. Yeah. Which I guess could happen. Seems like a horrible way to die. For some reason, it's this type of carbon monoxide that only binds to copper. Yes. (laughs) Or, you know, selectively does so. Because, you know, other people were sick, just, you know, not in a bad way. It's sort of like it got a light cough versus i'm going to die so and they didn't really go they they didn't use it they did talk about how oxygen deprivation would make him bad at his job which like that's an understatement yeah (laughs) you should look it up they have experiments where they like put people into oxygen deprivation intentionally just to like show them 
what happens and you know it really illustrates the whole like why you put on your own oxygen mask first on an airplane thing because so you can keep functioning when help someone else yeah you become confused and ineffective immediately there was a video i saw um I think it was on Smarter Every Day's YouTube channel. I can't remember specifically now, but you can look these up. People have going through these things where they simulate like a like an air oxygen failure on like a jet plane or or fighter jet, and he's like, "Well, it starts, and then you just can't find your oxygen mask to put it on." He was wearing one of those um, one of those Air Force style helmets that has the integrated oxygen mask. And it was just off to the side. And he could not get his hand coordination to the point that he was able to grab it and attach it to himself. Uh, Which literally all you have to do is move it three inches across your face. Just kind of need to push there and then you're good to go. But if you Mm -hmm. can't even do that. Yeah, the other guy who was in the room who was wearing a full oxygen mask had to put it on for him eventually to keep him from, you know, sustaining brain damage. Uh, It's like, well, uh, you're still operating and breathing and things like that barely but you're not getting enough oxygen so you might as well be holding your breath the entire time you're just you're gonna remain conscious while you get your damage instead so yeah oxygen deprivation is scary it's yeah. really scary i've even done it a little like i've never gone that high but my family used to do a lot of uh hiking not mountain climbing there's a distinction hiking is, a, is the, the, the the slower way up yes more of an incline as opposed to here's a cliff <laughs> basically yeah and we'd we'd climb these there's these mountains in colorado called uh 13ers or 14ers which are above 13,000 or 14,000 feet which is when the air starts getting thin yes and you you can feel it there's a place where you're going up the mountain yet something around you know somewhere between 12 12, somewhere around 11 12,000 feet you hit a weird wall where all of a sudden you're way more tired than you were a minute ago. Yes. Yeah, so it's like, oh, this isn't good. Now, you're nowhere near the you need oxygen to live zones that you get on higher mountains, but you're still in the like, I'm not functioning normally zone. Now, uh, back in grad school, I did uh, my uh, uh, observational uh, field research uh, on a mountain peak at uh, around uh, 10,000 feet or so. Uh, and I was up there for months and even by the end of it, you know, trying to get out there and, you know, trying to, you know, acclimate myself, uh, going on walks, David, uh, you know, hike by the uh, time I was done there is very much a, wow, every day I'm just kind of a bit, <laughs> bit worn out and I'm sitting here watching a computer <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, for most of that time. And it's just sort of like, you know, uh, you know, if I tried to do any physical activity, it just saps me so quickly and then I have to like in order to like focus I need to sort of take a break first and then I'm good to go again. And it just so it was just so potent and obvious uh you know how how different what things were compared to what I was used to that it was kind of unsettling really. Um and then I remember like the, the I think it's a, a, a pagoda in Colombia is actually at ten thousand feet. So I'm like, oh, <laughs> But when you came back down, I bet for two weeks you felt great. <laughs> felt great. It's like I had a Nutri-Grain bar. <laughs> There's places in Colombia and Peru that just exist at those levels. They've actually done studies. People who li- have lived there their entire lives have developed like some amount of like actual adaptation. They have more red blood cells and uh, more efficient ways of carrying blood oxygen. Also, they drink cacao leaves, which I think helps. It's not good for you, but it helps. <laughs> So it's a supplement that, uh, you know, maybe has some side effects, but, you know, it's going to help you, like, breathe. They apparently give it to you at the airport when you arrive. It's like, here, drink that. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> so anyway, long story short, you know, too long didn't read. Blood oxygen deprivation is bad. Yes. It makes you tired uh, and confused very easily. Yeah, so, uh, so don't do it, guys. Do you want to talk about some piracy? Yeah, pirates. This was an Arr. interesting... I did think it was an interesting one on this that, I mean, they have space pirates, fine. Kirk doesn't care because he cares about actually saving his friend. 
So it's like, I don't care what you do, and I'm not going to report you. Just give me the medicine. And they go, well, you know that we're pirates now, so we have to kill you because we can't trust you're not going to report us. <laughs> it's a fundamental disconnect in the lake. It's like he's trying to not care, but they can't trust him to not care because they're pirates, and they expect that everyone's going to be as untrustworthy as they are. So uh, it's, it's sort of a weird take on the prisoner's dilemma where someone always distrusts everyone else. So what do you do? How do you interact with them? Well, you kind of get into this thing where you can't you can't actually force trust in any kind of way if you're trying to do any kind of negotiation and you can't have at least some base fundamental level of trust that you are both negotiating and will agree to the terms of the negotiation, you can't actually do it. You can't force a negotiation. People keep trying to operate in these no trust scenarios and have like, well, here's the like they they expect the the restrictions the like safeguards that you put in place like a lot of international stuff will have like well if you don't abide by the terms of the negotiation then there will be tariffs and all this other stuff people expect the threats to be the thing that will make it all trustworthy but that's not really true because if you were going to break it you're either going to try you either expect that you can break it secretly in such a way that the negative impacts won't hit you or the negative impacts don't matter to you <laughs> It's like, oh, we're going to get sanctions, but we don't import anything for anyone anyway because of the previous sanctions. So, eh? So yeah. We don't have any leverage on us. So, uh, go to hell. So, really, you're, you have to be operating at a certain level of good faith trust for anything to function. And, obviously, the Orions in this just just don't at all. Yeah. Which means you can't actually have a negotiation, which is why they wind up trying to kill each other. Yeah, you know, the I guess the other way to sort of approach this is to actually offer them something that they would value, you know, that it would be worth the risk of trusting the enterprise in order to acquire it. Uh and that thing really can't be the thing that they already have, <laughs> which is basically what Kirk offers up here. And it's sort of like a Kirk you're not even trying to get, you know, sort this out in a very reasonable fashion here. And, you know, you know, you should at least, you know, if these people are the pirates you're looking for, you should at least assume that they're, you know, maybe going to have some trust issues of some sort because they're already abusing trust of others in order to gain advantage and steal from them. So, you know, but you obviously can't do that in this scenario because they've demonstrated several times through the course of the episode that, they value nothing over maintaining their planet's neutrality. <laughs> Which still begs the question of why are they going out and pirating, but, you know. Uh, though, I, I guess maybe uh, offering up a, a means in order to, I guess, maybe explain why this instance of piracy was okay and have it be like, oh yeah, this was uh, totally a... There was an emergency and it was a life and death thing and they were totally in the right to try to do this and they didn't actually kill anybody. So they were trying to be like good people about it. But, uh, you know, the, the Huron, they, yeah, they're being unreasonable jackasses and uh, we need to make sure that everyone's alive and gets the tribunal thing thingamajig there in order to sort of uh, sort this out. And eventually, you know, no one's at fault. It's just a misunderstanding. Don't worry about it, guys. And that would be a very long sort of convoluted process, which again kind of requires a level of trust, which they probably don't have. But it's probably the best thing you could try in that case. But yeah, it's a long shot. Well, apparently the main thing that they have for this, which I don't actually know if there is a real world allegory to this. They just keep popping it up in fiction for some reason. They have a nation state, which every planet seems to operate as its own nation state in this universe mostly. And... They need to maintain a certain level of either of like appearance of non-militarization. We've had this in two episodes so far. We have this one where the Orions are neutral, and we had the other one where the fuzzy cat people weren't allowed to have military operations. Yes, the Gazinti. And in both cases, they were doing it anyway, and the entire plan was if anyone finds out, just kill yourselves. <laughs> so it's kind of an extreme situation where you 
in order to even want to be doing this in the first place, given your only out is suicide, you have to really, really, really want to be doing this for some reason. And it's not entirely clear why you are. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be a particular incentive that anyone's really uh, mentioning or talking about. Well, maybe these uh, 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 Orions were preparing for the, the burn in a few, you know, number of centuries in the future. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my stuff. You had some things. There's nothing in this episode, so you had some things. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, I want to, talk, you know, sort of uh, talk a little bit about piracy, especially in sort of the the modern context, uh, which is actually based on the 1982 uh, United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea, which is actually made was something after this episode, but was sort of um, based on practices and things kind of already being adopted from like uh, one of the Geneva Conventions beforehand, uh, and it defines piracy specifically as any illegal acts of violence or detention or any active depredation committed for private ends by the crew or the passengers of a private ship or private aircraft and directed on the high seas against uh, another ship or aircraft or against person or property on board uh, such ship or aircraft or against the ship, aircraft, person, or property in the place outside jurisdiction of any state, or B, any act of voluntary participation in the operation of a ship or, or of an aircraft with knowledge of facts making it a, a pirate ship or aircraft, aka you're you want to go out and do a piracy, so this counts. <laughs> or C, any act of inciting uh, or of intentionally facilitating an act described in paragraphs A or B. So if you're helping out some pirates, it also counts. That's um, conspiracy piracy. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, the for the most part, this stuff you know, counts. Uh, on you know, with regards to things that uh, you know, interactions between ships uh, and aircraft, apparently uh, on the high seas, uh, which is a I think uh, two hundred nautical miles away from the coast of any uh, you know nation, uh, you know their their land uh, uh, territories there. Uh, now there is some exceptions to that, most notably uh, Somalia. So uh, for a few decades now, Somalia kind of has been a uh, hotbed of piracy and things like that, uh, to the point where, you know, over several uh, different agreements and years, it was sort of decided that, so given that they're trying to basically abuse that 200 nautical miles thing, we're going to like set it up so that we can sort of de facto treat uh, the, uh, you know, the, the, the territorial waters of Somalia as the high seas, so we could actually pursue the pirates into those territory, uh, uh, territorial waters and work with the, uh, the uh, what amounts to local government there in order to sort of combat them. And, uh, you, know, you know, some of the, uh, you know, uh, Somali government people are like, cool. Other people in charge of other parts of Somalia are like, but we're the pirates. So, you know, um, so there's a whole mess there. And, uh, you know, I don't have a full thing, you know, to sort of discuss all the specifics there, but that's sort of just kind of one of the uh, prime examples that are sort of exceptions there. But and but otherwise, it does require things to be at the in the high seas. But if you're doing basically effective piracy in the territorial waters of any country, then you're kind of falling on back onto you know local jurisdiction things like that. So you know, if you're going to uh, go just a few miles off the coast and you know attack some uh, I don't know, a uh, yacht or something like that and, you know, do a piracy there, then you're, you know, going to be, you know, in, you know, as far as the United States is concerned, going to be involved in assault, you know, theft, whatever sort of stuff there. Uh, and that's going to be taken care of by uh, local laws. But if you're out the high seas, then kind of anyone can show up and say, hey, it's time to stop the piracy. We're going to like have you have a bad time and all that. Um, and so, you know, Make sure you know what your jurisdiction is before you get up to some piracy here. Uh, if you're going to be doing that, um, just FYI. Well, I guess it wouldn't be piracy if you're too close to uh, shore. Which also does that yes. mean that they're not? Does that mean, for the purpose of the episode, that they're not in Federation space because they do seem to have space law? Yeah, to a certain degree. Uh, though, as far as how space law applies to the uh, the universe of Star Trek at this point in time, it's Super up on the air because it's not well defined, I guess. Uh, but it is to a, I guess, a certain extent, sort of 
still analogous to a lot of things that are sort of familiar with, you know, for folks at the time, where piracy, something happens at sea, so it can also happen in space. And this means generally that it's some distance away from held territories, planets, or whatever. And so in between the stars, you can get up to piracy, but if you can orbit to somebody, then they'll probably have to worry about the people that run the planet. So, Well, this particular thing is... It seems a lot closer to historical piracy than modern piracy, which, you know, from my understanding, most modern piracy that isn't, there seems to be two kinds. There's ones that are actually just poor, desperate people who don't have another means of making income in very poor nations, like Somalia. Yes. Or it's not really piracy, it's covert naval actions fully sanctioned by the government masquerading as piracy indeed but historical piracy was basically independent contractors mostly sanctioned by governments to take out either wartime or non-wartime adversaries and disrupt uh, trade routes so uh, we'll have a few like actual like independent pirates running around and then we'll use them as cover for our whole massive load of pirates that are actually working for us well that was the whole privateer thing yes. you were you were a private contractor with your own ship you were yes, essentially a, a sea yeah. mercenary and your whole oh, thing was going out disrupting other countries trade routes stealing their gold silver trade whatever and bringing it back home to generally spain or england and presenting it to the queen Yes, so uh, Sir Francis Drake, go out there and plunder us some ships and uh, cause the French some issues and uh, come back with what you pick up. Yeah, the general problem was when was when uh, peace broke out. <laughs> they said, okay, stop now. And they were like, are you crazy? We're making good money. <laughs> we're like super rich now. You want us to stop becoming super rich? What? <laughs> and then, of course, on the English side, they were like, oh, no, you attacked the French. Stop that. <laughs> oh, no, please stop. Come back. <laughs> So it's difficult to say, but this 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 ship seems to be at least somewhat affiliated with the Oran government. Otherwise, they wouldn't be linked back to them in a way that would damage their general neutrality status. So it's definitely much more in the vibe of uh, historical piracy. But that's why I actually read the specifics of the current definition of piracy in use today, because it explicitly says... That this is, you know, you know, these are actions taken for private ends uh, by crew or passengers of a private ship or private aircraft. So basically, in modern piracy, they're like, yeah, we're not going to play that whole, oh, this isn't actually a guy that's with us sort of game anymore. It's very much a, no, they're working for you, and now this is an act of war, so we're going to, you know, act accordingly. But uh you know, which is sort of a private crew doing their own thing here because again, they're, you know, you know, poor people, you know, they, you know, they might be, you know, the, the big cheese in one, uh, you know, corner of the world, but you know, anywhere else they're, you know, destitute. And so they're going to go out and like, Oh, we got to feed ourselves and our people. So this is what we're going to do. Uh, and so that's very much a, you know, sort of the, there's been a line cut to sort of separate the two between sort of the historical piracy activities and what's, you know, the piracy of today. I do just love that they all include aircraft so you can have sky pirates. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alas. Uh, it, it also it kind of uh, implies that, you know, that things that are outside of jurisdictions of any state, uh, you know, that, two, that the high sea stuff is sort of a the de facto sort of thing there where it's like, okay, this is outside of the jurisdiction of any state. So it applies here. But if you're also up in the air, you know, you know, in a certain area, it also counts. If you're in space, it would also count because, you know, the United States does not have a legit claim to the moon, for instance. So you can't quite, you know, so you can go and engage in piracy on the moon. If you like, let's go, uh, let's go hold ourselves up a lunar lander. That would be very expensive. <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> so uh, I, I guess, you know, in, in a way, this uh, is prepping uh, us for the future where we're going to have certain rules as far as uh, piracy in space. And this is just sort of an extension of that baby, 
but also historic piracy at the same time, which I guess kind of, you know, vibes well with the, they want to not be caught uh, because then it would be seen as an act of war. And well, their so-called neutral planet isn't going to have a good time as far as that versus the entire Federation. So. Yeah, that is kind of a interesting thing that's not addressed in a lot of science fiction. I had kind of heard of this in one particular like role-playing system, but it's not something that people liked very much. But the general implication of there being anything even resembling space piracy means that space travel has become cheap enough that it's basically boat travel. And it's something that an individual or at least a small group would reliably be able to afford to buy in the first place and maintain. Your, your, your fuel's cheap enough, your ship is well-maintained enough and easy to maintain enough, and you happen to be within easy reach of people that you can pirate. This, of course, does not even address... This is something we'll get into later because this era of Star Trek doesn't have economics but they still seem to have money. By the time you get to Next Generation and everything after that, and they are explicitly in a post-financial, post-scarcity world, what in the world are you pirating? Well, uh, biomagic gels, of course, <laughs> because you can turn them into bio-weapons. <laughs> yeah. Why is everyone so unhappy? Something that's never, never lined up, and they try, like they made it so bad in DS Nine and after. But like, it doesn't make sense that there would be so much crime. Well, I guess the DS 9s case, it's sort of on the edge of the Federation, and not everyone has adopted the post scarcity economics of the Federation. But they point, have so. post scarcity economics because they all still have replicators. Yes. What in the world do you want? <laughs> Biomimetic gels. <laughs> So you can make bioweapons. It's like, yeah, I can make bioweapons. It's like, why? It's a hobby. <laughs> oh, I just don't like those guys on the other planet over there. That, that planet's been dead for centuries. Yeah. <laughs> we can make anything we want out of freely available energy sources that no one can control and are infinitely regenerable. But, you know, I still just feel like having more territory. Yes. <laughs> You know, uh, so there's a whole, I guess, exploration to be done uh, when we sort of get to th that point uh, in our in our own adventures here to sort of explore. It's like, okay, what is actually the scarcity here, and why is that still mattering for some reason? And because it's sometimes they're trying to well define it, and maybe it just sort of imply that you can't replicate latinum. I guess maybe, but well, I they don't, don't have it in this one. But if they if they had done this in next gen era, there would have been they would have done the um the juxtaposition between the like do we save our crewman's life and like trade them for the medication, or do we let them keep probably proprietary technology that we have this whole thing about not giving other people technology. <laughs> It's all about information scarcity as opposed to material scarcity in that case. I guess also you can't replicate uh, dilithium, so I guess that's maybe a thing. That seems to be a thing, but no one's... They're, they're very unclear on how scarce that stuff is. It seems to be everywhere. They're always running out of it, but it's also everywhere. Uh, they're, they're burning through it at a higher rate, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, to take it back a little bit, um, I think I mentioned a little bit about uh, how I sort of handle piracy in my... Uh, manuscript and hopefully novel to be of uh, uh, Europa Europa that the only acts of piracy that have really taken place in that setting um, you know previous you know to the story uh, basically involved being surprised that oh someone took over the space station and we are docking we've already docked with that space station and whoops <laughs> <laughs> so we're already at you know you know you know hanging out here and we're not we're being surprised by the situation uh, when we are basically running into a parked car. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the the other one, uh, which happens during the story, uh, basically involves you know, someone who knows exactly where the ships are going to be uh, going through as far as their flight paths can go because they set up the contracts to have them go through that location. So 
you just need to sort of light up your orbits and you don't even have to do a, a burn until the very last moment in order to basically give them a good surprise. It's like, oh yes, there are going to be dropping right by orbit. We just need to make sure that we're uh, synced up the right way to um, yeah, meet up with them. And there we go. And but without all the information, all that sort of pre-planning, it's impossible to do uh, because there's just so many uh, variables and, you know, if anyone could decide to turn their engine on at any moment and, you know, the, uh, the space travel, uh, you know, engines are not super efficient, like in the expanse or something like that, it still takes a while to get up to speed. So you're going to be basically trying to outmaneuver people over massive distances and that's actually very easy to do. Uh, in Star Trek, though, you kind of get to the situation where you, you know, space is kind of an ocean as is. So, and everyone has FTL travel. So, eh, there's sort of an upper limit on, on speeds, but everyone can kind of get there. So, well, there's a there's kind of a reason that uh, both modern and historical piracy um, don't generally happen in the middle of the ocean. Mm -hmm. You you were kind of near islands, like. You know, historical piracy was all around the Caribbean, which is that like large island chain. It's a lot of area, but you had a lot of ships going through there. Like you're never going to be able to sit in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and find anything. Yes. It's all right. Well, I'm sitting here and uh, there's no ships still. Huh. Well, this sucks. <laughs> yeah. So you need to go where the where the uh, the tra uh, ships are traveling through and uh, to and from. And, you know, if you're going to be still doing it, you know, a bit a ways, then having a few islands to basically hide behind and then ambush people, there you go. It's much, much, much more easy to, to pull off then. Uh, and you don't have to get super lucky with stumbling across someone. Yeah, you don't know how the trade routes work here, but as far as you can tell, they randomly found a, found a freighter going from some random planet they wouldn't normally go to to some random point in the middle of nowhere. Yes, <laughs> which I guess, you know, sci-fi sensors or whatever, that, that's workable, I guess. But still, it's sort of like, how did you f decide to f that this is a good idea to go after this ship? <laughs> they appear to be going nowhere. Does that mean they have cargo? Maybe? Probably. Maybe that means they don't got any cargo. I don't know. <laughs> that ship's heading to a random position in the middle of nowhere in between planets in interstellar space. They probably got something good. Yeah, it's it's clearly that you know. Oh, we can see this this, this federation ship you know, trying to intercept them over there, and uh, maybe I know they're going to offload all this stuff they must clearly be having onto the ship that's not a cargo ship because reasons. Yes, <laughs> pirate logic. <laughs> pirates are. <laughs> no one ever said the Orions were good pirates. Nope. <laughs> Now, now let's uh, get, get back to that thing I hinted about uh, at the start of the episodes. Like, are these folks the same as the Orions? I'm going to say yes, they are. Because in the episode, they mentioned a specific agreement that was made at Babel on a specific uh, star date, which was a few days after the episode's uh, journey to Babel. Uh, so it's very, it implies that there's a very tight link between these two. And given that in that episode, uh, the the whole murder plots and trying to disrupt the conference thing was done by Orions, that's very likely that these are the same. You know, they made this resolution in order to try to prevent something like that from happening again. Why they decided to change the pronunciation and make them all look different, I guess, for reasons, I have no idea. Well, we never saw the Orions in that episode. Yes. <laughs> So uh, we've only seen uh, female Orions otherwise, I guess. So, eh. <laughs> Look at you doing the deep lore. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of all I had. Let's uh, want to talk about more about negotiations and like model UN stuff or something. I don't know. I think that given the amount that we've actually gotten out of what was an incredibly brief and pointless episode, it's probably time for the galaxy's favorite game show. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to the game show portion of the show where our various contestants have been racking up all sorts of uh, 
Uh, actually, the scores are pretty light this week. Let's but let's just get to it. All right. Um, so we got three prizes to hand out today. Oh, they're going to be very, very wonderful prizes. And uh, we got uh, the first one going out to uh, one uh, McCoy uh, for uh, the medical malpractice prize for not anticipating that Spock could get you know this disease that everyone else on the ship had already had, and that could very easily kill him. That uh, you know. So what does McCoy win, Gepwin? McCoy wins one of those bubble things. I never actually saw the Bubble Boy movie. I understand it was like an SNL skit or something when they were making all of those into movies. But I feel like Indeed. it would be great to just put Spock in one of those bubble things because they, they keep doing this. He's the only non he's like the only non-human on the crew for quite a while. Now they have some more. But like obviously diseases affect him differently. They should just give him one of those force field bubble things all the time. <laughs> If they could make the glowiness around people uh, on, when they're beaming down to exploding asteroids, they should be able to do it for Spock just as a, a matter of course thing. Huh? Our second prize is the Assignment Death Prize, which goes out to the Orion Pirates, or Orion Pirates, depending on how you want to pronounce them, for being very ill-prepared for being, you know, quality pirates and actually pirating, and thus making their, uh, you know, suicide attempt basically inevitable, given that they don't have good weapons at all or any way not to get caught what do they win Gepwin? they win their own little island thing because you know they're very bad at what they do so they should just set up libertalia out here and move away from their stupid planet that is trying to kill them so if you want to be pirates guys maybe you should cut off ties with your home government and just sort of do your own thing eh oh our third and final prize is the Give Away the Farm prize, which goes to Kirk for utterly failing to try and negotiate or to compel capitulation for the pirates, given his very strong negotiating position, you know, with the Enterprise and its guns that actually could maybe hurt them. Um, what does he win, Gepwin? Kirk wins my dinithlithium necklace, because apparently this stuff is really common. They had the dilithium necklace in the other episode, and it was pretty. So maybe he can just trade that next time, or keep it around for the engines and just give up all the dilithium. Apparently this stuff is super common, but everyone wants it. So you should just have extra on board, really. Yes. <laughs> in fact, uh, you know, in Star Trek Discovery, they have a room full of dilithium crystals as backup in case their normal crystals are, you know, have issues there. So just do that, guys. Come on. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's all I got, Gepwin. Our contestants have been uh, mildly competent today or incompetent, as the prizes might suggest. Uh, go ahead and take us away. Uh, thank you all for joining us, and I hope everyone enjoyed their really crummy prizes, but it was a bad episode to begin with, so yeah. This has been the galaxy's favorite game show. Woo! So, uh, Kepwin, do you like big-eyed monsters? Yeah, I do. I like big-eyed monsters, and I cannot lie. Well, in this next episode, we got this Bem guy. Good big-eyed monster Ben. Bim. <laughs> I was trying to rhyme there, but my, my rhymes, my, my beat was all off. <laughs> Bim. Such a weird episode name. I think yeah, it's a dude. I, I know a little bit about what's going on in this one here. And uh, long story short, the, the title character's kind of a jerk. Mm. So, eh. <laughs> something about primitive something and do know what's going on here there seems to be i don't i don't want to know what this what is happening this looks like spoilers his body floats apart or something yep head flies around yep what in the frick is going on <laughs> he's, he's detachable <laughs> <laughs> great wonderful detachable bem <laughs> So, uh, the long story short, uh, this this guy is, is going to be all about dominating this next episode, from what I understand. So, uh, I guess buckle in for meeting this this alien dude who can float into pieces. I I like the native lizard dudes. I'm seeing some yeah. native lizard dudes. I kind of like them. They look cool. Yeah, let's like let's get more of them. So yeah, that that's that sounds fun. 
let's hope for that. <laughs> anyway, oh, one thing that I just half forgot to mention. If you go back, if you watch uh, Pirates of Orion, like the, the cartoon, pay attention to the point where the Orion's left lieutenant voice changes to a weird high-pitched squeal for one line <laughs> and then never does it again. He was enthusiastic for that moment. It's very enthusiastic. Anyway, that was all I had to say about that. And apparently next time we have some sort of betrayer, alien, weirdo thing. I've got no idea. First contact with, with lizards. Yes. So uh, we'll, we'll have a lizard time and uh, this green dude, Mohawk. Yeah. Look forward to floating heads or some such. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, some sort of big-eyed monster floats around. You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come if you enjoy our podcast make sure to subscribe for more and where possible make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review you may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and twitter at Gepwin you may find me Dr. Isix on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and twitter at IsixLP Music is Waveform and Maury's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs> <laughs>